that was done by a, a church called Church at Springs, uh, somewhere in South Florida, maybe Tampa area, I don't know, honey, you remember? Uh, they had a, a dollar day at church one Sunday, a few Sundays back, and asked everybody to bring a dollar. And uh, that's what they did with the money that was given on that, that Sunday. Um, incredible ministry. Uh, we shared it on Facebook. Already had somebody say, Michael, can we do that at our church? Something like that. That'd be great. And we, yeah, we're going to do something like that. Uh, just, just, just hold on. But we are definitely going to do that. It's pretty good gifts, huh? I mean, your, your groceries, I know, <laughs> feeding my zoo, um, uh, what it would be like if somebody came up and said, hey, can I, can I buy those groceries for you? But did you notice the hesitancy of some of them? Uh, especially at the gas station. It seemed like they weren't quite as hesitant at, uh, with the groceries, but why? Or what's the catch? That's what one guy said. And that's understandable because well, far too often the church has done things for people, and, and I don't mean this church necessarily, the church in general. Do You do things for people and, and you expect something back. These, these types of ministries where and that's what the church should be, where you do something for someone and that's it. You're just doing something for someone. Uh, don't come often enough. But if those people, let, let's say one of those guys at the, at the gas pump had said, no, you can't fill up my car. Well, does, does that make the gift any less generous? The answer is no. Does that make the gift any less important? The answer is no. But the gift's not really a gift, right, until it's received. We're going to look at something along those lines this morning, keeping that in mind and the, the preciousness of, of, of what that church was doing. Turn to John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. You probably don't need to look up 316, but maybe 17 and 18 you, you need a little refresher on. John 3, 16 through 18, and we're going to talk about the gift. Uh, a remarkable gift has been our our theme uh, for these four Sundays, we, we looked at a gift given, we looked at a gift recognized, uh, we looked at a gift sought by the wise men last week, and this morning we are looking at a gift received, because for it to truly be a gift, it must be received. John three sixteen through 18 says, For God loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only Son. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For, did, for God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned. Because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Now, if you've not gotten the message through the previous three sermons this Christmas season, or probably every Christmas series you've heard since you've been coming to church, we celebrate Christmas for Jesus. Uh, a lot of great things come with Christmas. It is, as somebody said at our open house last night, thank you to all those who came and made our house extremely warm, and I'm not just talking about the temperature, uh, and, and, and helped. We, we loved having you there, and we we hope if you didn't make it this year that you'll, you'll make it next year because we, we truly love having folks over. That's, uh, that is the reason we got the house we got. So we, we want that, and 
that's part of the Christmas season, but we know, and I don't have to stay here too long, Jesus is why we celebrate, because of that gift, that gift that was given. These verses, John 3, 16 through 18, are, are verses of, of power. Now, all scripture is powerful. Paul told Timothy that. We, we know that from reading the scripture, that how, how Jesus used scripture when he was tempted we know that scripture is powerful, but there's something about this verse, 316 in particular, that just seems to have more power. It is probably the best encapsulation of the gospel of any passage of scripture. That's why it is so well known. That's why it was, it's so uh, uh, oft repeated and memorized. As a matter of fact, I had a pastor years ago that uh, was asked that if he could have any license plate number, uh, and this was over south of Baton Rouge, if you could have any Louisiana license plate number, what would he have? Or, or what would be the one verse he would want to share? And he said, John 3, 16. Well, it, it turned out they were trying. We knew someone, there was someone in our church who knew somebody who stamped, who worked at stamping out the license plates. Now, in the cartoons, those are always criminals, so I don't know if that's true or not. If she knew somebody in jail, I'm, I'm, I didn't ask all those questions. Um, but she said they were getting to the J's, and they were going to try to work it where they got that license plate without paying the, the, the fee for a specialized plate. I don't think it worked out, but it was a nice idea. But he said, if I could have anything on my license plate, JHN316. That's what he wanted. That, that's the power of the verse. If we can just share the verse, uh, then there's, there's power there. We saw that, actually, though. Uh, think back, football fans. Uh, to January 12th, January, no, January 9th, 2012, was the uh, first round of the NFL playoffs, Denver Broncos played the Pittsburgh Steelers. Starting quarterback for the Denver Broncos was not Peyton Manning, Tim Tebow. It was his first playoff start, uh, it was his next to the last playoff start, if I remember correctly. Um, but it was his per first playoff start. They won, dramatic fashion in overtime on a Tim Tebow pass. It was, you know, if you're a Tebow fan, it was a great day. Some numbers you might not have realized about that day. He wore John 3.16 on his eye black underneath his eyes. Turns out that in that game, he threw for 316 yards. His Yards per, his, uh, yards per pass average was 31.6. Yep, y'all guessed it. Good job. In overtime, uh, where he won the game uh, on this dramatic pass, first play of overtime, the, the television rating that it drew was a 31.6. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers' time of possession was 31 minutes. Six seconds. Uh, and there were a few other coincidences, coincidences throughout the game of 316 showing up. It, it's not something you can plan. I don't think it was a coincidence. I, I, I do believe it was God manipulating events so that he could get a message out. Because what happened the Monday after John 316 was the number one Google search. Uh, Billy Graham Evangelistic Association got over 8,000 hits at Peace with God. Net, and they could confirm 150 salvations from 
from Tim Tebow wearing John 3.16 on his eye black. I mean, that's the power of those verses. And that's why we go to them so often. But we see in these verses, we see this remarkable gift finally, fully, completely. Maybe we've only hinted at it the last three Sundays. Now it's clear, but now just as clear as the gift is the need for our reception of that gift, to continue a football analogy. We must receive it. We don't want an incomplete pass on this, uh, on this gift. Let's look at this passage, though. Look with me. We, we, we could go really in-depth with this. We're going we're gonna to back up just a little and, and take it at a little higher view, maybe a, like a 10-story view instead of right here at it. We see in verse 16, to begin with, a remarkable gift giver. We see God giving this gift. I mean, there are some people that just have a knack for giving gifts, right? doesn't matter what they give. You, oh, man, that is the best idea. You did a great job. Well, God is that remarkable gift giver. Uh, if, if we're going to compare him to anybody, we, 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 we lose out because he is better than any other. Interesting that God knew what we needed, even though he'd already given us everything. Right? I mean, he, he created everything, but he, he, he gave us today. Let's, let's, you know, look, we've got cars and airplanes and computers and smartphones that make us dumber. And uh, we've got all this stuff, everything that he has given, that he has provided, air to breathe, water to drink, animals to kill and eat. Uh, we've got great, great things. And yet God knew there was one gift we needed that only he could provide. And that gift was rooted in love, for God loved the world. Rooted in this love. It, this is that Old Testament term, J.R. Chesed. We had talked about it, and I mentioned J.R. because we talked about it in Sunday school this morning. Chesed is how you pronounce it. Um, that's an inside joke for our Sunday school class. Uh, that loving kindness is what the Bible calls this kind of love, the Old Testament calls this kind of love. Uh, faithful love, covenant love, as we learned this morning, love that, that is re both responsible and uh, committed to the one it's given to, but also expects responsibility and commitment back from the one that it's given to. We see that here in this love that God has for the world, for everybody. That love is for everyone. The world for John, I have always on the screen, and I, I try not to put uh, that definite a term always, and this is one of those times I did, and I probably messed up, so I'm going uh, to amend it a little bit and said, most of the time, for John, the world, that phrase, cosmos, cosmon, always has a, uh, almost always has a negative implication. It's, it's always, or almost always, talking about sinful humanity in some point, in some way. Uh, judgment coming, or in some cases, judgment not coming, or the, there was darkness, the world was dark, and the light came in, in John chapter 1. But it always has this, or almost always has this negative connotation to it. So, what we're talking about here, when, when John pairs uh, the world with God's love, what he's saying is that God loves sinful humanity. And that clearly has to be the case, right? Because Jesus came 
to a sinful world, to sinful humanity. God loves everyone. This, this would have really blown the mind of the folks in Israel. They, 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 knew, they knew God loved them. They were his chosen people. And the Old Testament talks about God loving everything that he created in, in Exodus and Deuteronomy and other places. He talks about how he loves everything. But there was still this idea, yes, he loves everybody or everything, but he really loves us more. John tells us in this passage that, you know, God loves everyone because of what he did, because of that gift. Beyond Israel, beyond chosen ones, he loves everybody, and it is an intense love. You might have noticed that when I read it, you were thinking in your head, for God so loved the world. And I said, uh, for God loved the world in this way. That's, that's really a better translation of so loved. He loved in this manner. But it is an intense love. I mean, think about what we're about to get into, what he gave. What was the manner of his love? He gave not some trinket, not, not like a gift you take to a school party where, you know, I've got to get something and the limit's $10 and I found this for two. Whew, score, saved eight bucks. Uh, and boy, I'm really excited to give you this, thanks. You know, oh, you got me the same thing. Great. You know, that, that it wasn't that idea of, of an intensity, of, of, of nonchalance. It was, it was an intense love. That would lead God to do this. So God loved and so loved the world in this way. That he would give such a gift. How great is the love that the Father has for us. What a remarkable gift giver. But y'all, what a remarkable gift. For God so loved the world, or God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only, his one-of-a-kind son. Nothing like it before or since. We could also translate that word one time only. You've all seen the sales, right? Furniture stores go out of business every three weeks. Same store. I'm not talking about, you know, the same store. One, or, or it's a one-time only deal. You're right until six weeks from now when you actually have it for less because it's on clearance. So yeah, that deal was one time only, but got it cheaper later on. Sure, however you want to phrase it, but folks, this was not that kind of thing. This wasn't a one time only deal that got repeated even better a few months, few weeks, few years later. This was a one time only deal for a one of a kind son, nothing like it before, nothing like it since, and it was of extreme value, not the trinket that we throw away. Not, not even the one that you, that you get. You know, I, won't, I won't tell you exactly what uh, happened, but one of our children, actually both of them through the years, you know you take your kids to, to you know, they've got to buy Christmas presents for the, the parents, and so you go to Dollar Tree, and, and you say, okay, you've got $5 to spend on, well, both of us. And, you, you know, that, that's, that's the limit. When they're two, three, four, something like that. And you know, there, there are times when you get something and, thanks, boy, I like it, and, and you take it and you put it on the shelf and your three-year-old gave you that, so you're keeping it, 
but it will never see the light of day again because it's just not. While that's the way we sometimes treat God's gift to us, that is not the intrinsic, the inherent value of that gift. This is a gift that we could not have imagined. It's, it's the kind of gift you refuse. Not because, well, let's be honest, some of us refuse it because we think we don't need it. But most of us, when we refuse this gift, if we were to refuse this gift, we just say, there's no way. Look, I can't. I can't accept that. Have you ever, have you ever gotten a gift like that from, from somebody where you just say, I, I, can, I can't take this. This is too much. And, and they insist, right? No, take it. This is that gift. If we truly examine ourselves, if we truly examine the gift, if we look at the remarkability of the gift giver, and if we look at the remarkability of the gift, we should say, absolutely not. We can't take this because we don't deserve this. Really, God, your son, your one and only, one of a kind, one time only son, perfect in every way, you're giving him for me. I cannot accept it. It was remarkable for those reasons, but it, it was remarkable because it was also a sacrificial gift. There are times maybe we get a gift from someone that we say, oh, we just can't accept that gift, that's too much. But in reality, we know the person giving it is not really out too much to give it to us. It, it wasn't really a sacrifice for them. Oh, sure, they could have spent that money somewhere else, but as far as the, the grand scheme of, of now we can't eat because we gave you that, you know, it's not that kind of thing. And, and, and we feel a little, a little uh, uh, shy about taking it, a little embarrassed about taking it, but it doesn't, it doesn't hurt them in any way. This was a sacrificial gift from God. God sacrificed to give this gift. It was not a pain-free gift. Yes, God had everything. God has no wants, no needs, no desires in the way we think of them. Yet this was a sacrificial gift that he gave. He gave up his one-of-a-kind, one-and-only, one-time-only, unique son as a gift. But, not only did God sacrifice, but the gift himself would be sacrificed. Imagine that, think of the, the, the most expensive, let's say, for instance, someone here wanted to buy me a 2017 Corvette, letter, letter, number, 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 whatever comes after him, I don't know. I'm not that big into cars, but I'll take a Corvette if you buy me one. <laughs> or better yet, if you're going to buy me a Corvette, don't get me a 2017. 1963, 4, 7, mid-60s. That's the Corvette I want. So if you're looking... But let's say you were extremely generous. You found one. And you went and you bought me that Corvette. And I told you, this is great. But let's say you, 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 didn't, you didn't ask me what color I like. You didn't know I wanted a red and white one. And you got me 
the, the blue and white. And I say, wow, this, this, you, you told me you bought me a Corvette. That was, that was great. But, but, you know, that color, I don't, I don't, I don't like the color. Uh, the interior, it wasn't the color I wanted either. Um, I wanted the, the, the gangster white walls on it, and you didn't get me the gangster white walls. It's just a white stripe. So I, I took that gift, and I drove it just as hard as I can it could into a brick wall. Thank you. Okay, let's get out of the realm of the silly. Still buy me the Corvette. I won't drive it into a wall, I promise. Let's get out of the realm of the silly and understand that's what we did with Jesus. The gift was given. The gift was perfect. It wasn't the wrong color. The interior wasn't wrong. It, it had the correct white walls on it. It was exactly what we needed. And yet when we received it, when the light came into the darkness, the darkness did not perceive it. And we ran it into a wall. We put it on a cross. We put him on the cross. If you knew I was going to drive that car into a wall, would you still give me the gift? Would you go to all the trouble, spend all the money to buy me that Corvette? No, you would not. And yet, Jesus was still the gift. God still gave this gift knowing that he would be put on a cross. Well, why? Well, because, to be honest, the sacrifice was the reason. Now, I cannot think of a good analogy, a good reason why you would give me a Corvette knowing I would drive it into the wall and say that's exactly why I gave it to you. See, my analogy breaks down there, just like all analogies break down. But we took that gift, we crucified him, and God said, exactly. But knowing it was coming made it no easier. When Jesus cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It didn't suddenly, oh, it wasn't just, well, this is why I'm here, so everything's okay. No. It was a sacrificial gift. What a remarkable a gift, a gift. But if we keep looking, we see from this gift that it also had a remarkable effect. And what a remarkable effect it was. He, he says... God loved the world in this way. He gave his only son this remarkable gift so that everyone who believes in him. See, that Corvette, if you, if you decide to give it to me, Christmas is a week away. If you decide to give it to me, you've got to work hard to get it here in time. If you decide to give it to me, uh, it will have some great effects. It, it, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to lose those effects over time. I mean, I'm going to have to maintain it. I'm going to have to do some things to it. But even still, time is going to wear on it. it, it, it it's not for everybody. If, if, if one of you gives me a Corvette, no, the rest of you can't drive it. For me, I'm driving. No, my children will not learn to drive a vehicle in that Corvette. It's for me, and it's for no one else. The gift that God gave, the remarkable effect, was that it was for everyone. All, each, everyone who believes is how that word can be translated. The world, God so loved all of sinful humanity that whoever, all, each, everyone who believes will be saved. There is an infinite outcome to this gift. Think of any gift you've ever received and try to imagine an infinite outcome from it. You can't. You, you, you know, if it's food, you burn the calories. Well, some of us do. Some of us save them for a while. 
Uh, if, it's, if it's mechanical, it breaks down. If it's electric, it quits working. It needs batteries. If it, oh, your gifts do not have an infinite outcome. The gift that God gave, this remarkable effect, was that it has an infinite outcome. It covers everyone. It is for everyone who believes. See, that's the, that's the caveat here. That's the wrinkle in this. The, this gift is not automatic. The gift is given, but like the people on the video, had they not received the tank of gas, they would not have gotten the benefit of driving around for the next however many days having not paid for the gas. They would not have received the benefit. You are offered a perfect gift, but if you do not receive it, not just belief in, though that's what our English translation says, but more of a belief into, a belief that affects, uh, affects change, belief into Jesus. If we do not receive that, we do not receive the benefit. So it's for everyone, one of the remarkable effects. Second remarkable effect is that eternal death is destroyed, will not perish, but have everlasting life. So the opposite of everlasting life would be how they define perish. So everlasting death you have never been given a gift so powerful as one that can destroy the effects of eternal death. And yet, God gave this gift. What a remarkable effect. But not just destroys death. Because if we were annihilationists, meaning we, we, we believe that when we die, nothing happens, or maybe we believe that our options are eternal punishment or nothing happens. Well, that's not the case because what we're do what's done is the eternal punishment, the eternal death, perishing has been, a done, been a done away with, but in its place has been given eternal life and eternity with Jesus. That's what has been given. So if you believe you will not perish but have eternal life, you've not been given a gift so powerful as one that can destroy eternal life, but you have not been given a gift so important as one that can give eternal life. I think I said that wrong first. You've not been given a gift so powerful that it could destroy eternal death. And you've not been given a gift so important that it can give you eternal life. A remarkable gift giver giving a remarkable gift with a remarkable effect that has a remarkable purpose in verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. This gift was given for a specific purpose. This gift was given for joy. It was given for life, for peace, for hope, for salvation, and a multitude of other nouns I could use that still wouldn't capture the importance of this gift the reason that it was given, but it was given for us, for the purpose of our salvation. To demonstrate God's love, to demonstrate God's glory, to, to take away our sin, to, to show us how much he loves us, to show us how much he hates sin. We could go on and on. A remarkable purpose. But ultimately what we get from that gift is eternal life. Too often, we believe that salvation, that trusting Jesus, that believing in him, that getting religion, right? That's, that's what we would say, some of us. 
getting religion is cumbersome, is burdensome. This gift is not an oppressive burden. God was not sending his gift in order to, uh, to make a, a point, to make a, uh, 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 see how big and bad I am. I've sent Jesus to show you how you will be condemned. See how good I am. See how good you're not. Take that, people. That was not the gift that was given. The gift that was given was not an oppressive burden. It was not a veiled threat. You better trust this. You better, you better take this gift or I'm going to get you. That's somehow, sometimes how we see it. That was not it. Verse 17, God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. The, the purpose was to save us. The purpose was to make us right with God and restore the relationship that should have been there all along. I wish we could stop. I wish we could just leave it right there. Verse 17, say we're done, amen, let's go home. But John continued writing. And he put verse 18 in there. And what a remarkable refusal. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned. Because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. What a remarkable refusal. If I go back to my Corvette example, again, I'm not going to crash it into a wall. Not on purpose. As a matter of fact, if you give me that Corvette, I will be ecstatic to drive it home. Now, I'll, uh, at first I'll say that's too much, because I'm supposed to, right? That's the rule. Somebody gives you a gift that's too much, you're supposed to say that's too much, secretly hoping they don't say, eh, you're right, put the keys back in their pocket. Makes you look good. Because I'm going to drive that thing off. What a fool I would be to say, no, I'm a Mustang guy. Like Corvettes. Or some of you are thinking, I'd really like to get in the Corvette, but I can't afford that. I can only afford a you know, mid 60s Mustang. I wonder if you'd take that. Yes. <laughs> because I will not refuse it. And yet, over and over and over, not just in Scripture, but in your life and in my life, we know people that refuse the gift. No, I don't want that. No, it's burdensome. No, it's oppressive. No, it's this. No, it's that. No, I don't believe in your God. No, God killed people in the Old Testament. No, how can he come back from the dead? No, 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 no. They have all kinds of answers, but no good reasons. And they refuse the gift. John says to, to not receive the gift is to choose the opposite of what the gift offers. All right, you're not getting me a Corvette or a Mustang, but let's, you know, maybe, maybe you know somebody who, who walks everywhere they go because they can't afford a car. And you don't have Corvette or Mustang money. You have, like, Geo 
Prism 1990 uh, used money. You can go and you buy somebody a $1,500 car and give it to them and say, I know you have to walk everywhere. Here's a car. It, it, it's not much, but it's all I can do. And they say, I really wanted something nicer. And they let you keep it. And they say, no. Well, their, their alternative, the opposite of the gift of driving, is, is to continue to walk. Fine, you walk everywhere you go then. To, to not choose the gift that God gives is to choose eternal damnation, punishment, perishing, hell. I didn't choose that. Yes, you did. When you chose not to receive the gift that offered eternal life, you chose to actually continue in what already has been decided, eternal punishment, because the belief is up to you. It's up to you to choose. This phrase is uh, anyone who believes, or, or rather, uh, the one who does not believe is already condemned or already judged, that phrase there is in the perfect tense. It means it's completed. It's guaranteed. If you do not choose Jesus, your eternity is secure. You have two options. Accept the gift of eternal life or continue in what has already been decided, your eternal judgment, perishing, condemnation. Why do you refuse such a gift? I assume in a crowd of this size that there are a handful of you who have never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I'm going to also make the assumption that if you're watching it on TV or online, maybe you just happened to cross it, and you, know, you said, what in the world is that guy doing? And it, So I assume some of you have never accepted Christ. Maybe for some of you this is your first time to hear it, but sadly, some of you may have sat in this very church for 30, 40, 50, 60 years and have never accepted Christ. Your name's on the roll. You might have even gotten baptized at some point. But your mama told you to. Daddy expected it. Friends went down and you did it too. But there was nothing there. There, there was no belief into Jesus like we talked about earlier. There was no belief that led to change. And you've heard this message before, y'all. I'm not the first one to tell you this. Probably most every Sunday, at the very least, you have heard the gospel presented. And for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, you've sat maybe in the same spot, unless somebody was sitting there this morning, and said no. Why do you refuse such a gift? Because everybody thought you were saved? Who cares? Go to heaven embarrassed that everybody thought you were saved when you weren't, rather than go to hell confident that everybody believes you're saved and you're not. That's your choice. I began four weeks ago with walking you through getting some gifts. I mean, it was three weeks ago when we were recognizing the gift. Let me take you back to that 
you're sitting on the floor, the most amazing possibility of a gift in your hand. You haven't unwrapped it yet. You just, like I talked about, you, you know the size, the shape, the weight, a particular rattle or lack of rattle. Yeah, oh yeah, you, you know what a gift is sometimes by the sound it doesn't make. You, you know, you're sitting there, it's, it's in your lap, you're ready to open it, you know it's what it is, but you, you're anticipating it anyway because uh, it could be wrong, it could be socks. You know, it could be a lot of socks. So, so you open it. It is what you want. It's exactly what you wanted. But turns out, it, it, it's, it's even better because you never expected it to happen. I, I knew I wanted this. Mom and Daddy knew I wanted this. There was no way I could get it, though. And they did. They got it. I've got it. It's mine. You are absolutely blown away. They did it. I've got it. It's right here. It's in my hands. Do you put it back under the tree? Do you refuse it and say, that's exactly what I wanted? It's exactly what I needed? Thanks, but no thanks. No. You take it. You, you receive it. You, you look in wide-eyed wonder at your parents that they would even dream of getting this very thing that you knew you wanted, that you knew you needed, that is now better than you could have imagined. You cherish it for the remarkable gift that it is. Why have you not done that with Jesus? I cannot be any more plain spoken than I am right now. Why have you refused Jesus? Why have you refused such a remarkable gift for so long? It's all you want, whether you know it or not. It's all you need, whether you believe it is or not. It is the best gift you will ever receive, and yet you continue to refuse it. Maybe you've never heard the gospel explained in this way. Don't put that off. You're not guaranteed. You are currently condemned if you have not received Christ. And yet, the gift is offered. How do I believe the gift, Michael? Okay, I got it. I need this gift. What does that look like? Well, let me, let me walk through a few things here for just a second with you. First of all, in order to believe the gift, you have to understand your sinfulness. Why is the gift so great? Because it takes away our sin. It does the one thing for us, maybe there are more, but the one absolute thing we cannot do for ourselves. We cannot remove the sin issue. We can't do it. We cannot get away from our sin. This is the gift that can. It is our sin that condemns us. It is our sin that sends us to hell. We perish because we are sinners. And we cannot do anything about that. We're stuck. Romans 5.8, or rather 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
That's you, that's me, that's everybody. We have all sinned. And we can do nothing about it. Did I make that clear? No, you can't be good enough. No, you can't clean your life up. No, you can't get the balance to lean a little more to good and away from bad. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where the balance falls. You're condemned because you're never going to get all the stuff out of the sin side. You're condemned because of your sin. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin, John's, John has called it perishing. Paul in Romans said it's death. Same thing. The opposite of life, the opposite of eternal life is eternal death. But the gift, the remarkable gift of the remarkable gift giver God is eternal life. Not a blanket statement that absolves you, but a gift through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's how he sent the gift. Romans 5.8, God proved it to everyone, to a sinful world, a world that he sent the gift to. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The gift was under the tree long before, and we never could be good enough to receive it. But when we were at our worst, did you ever as a kid think, I'm not getting anything this Christmas? Maybe a particular time, right? That week. But then you straightened up, especially when it got closer to Christmas, like, oh, maybe I'll get something. We never, we never got good enough to receive this gift. We never deserved it, and yet... While we so were so undeserving, God gave it anyway. They may reject it. They may refuse it. They may put it back under the tree, but I'm going to give this gift to them and offer it to them anyway. That is what he offers today. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, Michael, I got it. So now what? Well, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Come on, Michael, I gotta, I gotta put something in the plate, don't I? No. I've gotta, I've gotta clean myself up before I come. Nope. There are things in my life I need to straighten out before I come to Jesus. No. I've gotta join your church before I come to... Nope. All you have to do is call on the name of the Lord. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart uh, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It really is that simple to receive the gift. I didn't say easy, I, I did say simple. To receive that gift. So will you receive the gift this morning? That's the question that you have to answer. Or will you continue to sit there and refuse to receive it? Say, I don't need it. I don't want it. These people will think I've been lying to them all these years. I have position and authority in that church. I can't go up there at my age and say, I need to receive Christ. Yes, you can. Because your alternative, your current reality, is that you are condemned to hell. Which is more important, your pride or your eternity? Far too many people 
will choose pride. Why do you continue to refuse? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this remarkable gift. Thank you that you provided that which we could not earn, that which we did not deserve, that which, to a large degree, we didn't even know we needed, but that which is so incomparably amazing that we stand in awe that you would give it to us at all. Lord God, thank you for being such a remarkable gift giver and giving us such a remarkable gift. Lord, I pray for anyone within the sound of my voice that continues to refuse. God, break their heart for you. Lord, do not allow them work on them. Draw them. Soften their hearts. God, do what you must in their life right now to get them to you, to trust you. Break down those walls of fear and pride and shame that are keeping them from coming to you. There is nothing, I say again for them, there is nothing that you will refuse them, that you refuse forgiveness for. God, move on their hearts this morning. Get them, catch them, hook them. Lord, bring them. Do not let them walk away. That's our prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.